we are back. Welcome to episode 12 of the Marshall Street Podcast, where two washed-up SEO alumni cut into all things Syracuse sports. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star question. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MarshallSTPod44. Like, share, retweet, and tell your friends about the podcast to help the podcast grow. Uh, we had a little bit of a longer layoff in between episodes, but we have lives and jobs that we have to attend to, so we're sorry about that, but we're back. Uh, I'm Jake. That's Keith. Keith, how you doing today on this lovely, rainy, disgusting Saturday morning? I'm sad, Jake. I'm sad that we just got blown out by the Jeff Capel-led Pittsburgh Panthers. I'm sad. No other way to put it. Yeah, that was the pit, the second pit game ended about 20 minutes ago. Um, it, it was not good. We'll get there. We're gonna we have about four games to cover. We're gonna go back to the first pit game, cover that William, cover Georgetown, cover Carolina, and, and cover the uh, the interesting events of today. So let's let's go back. Let's go back to the first pit game. Um, after SU went on pause after there were positive tests in the Buffalo program, this is the first game since December nineteenth. Uh, SU blew a 18-point lead in, I believe, the second half. Um, might have been 18 points in the first half and dropped the second of the year to pit, to pit 63-60. Uh, Champagne didn't play that. We lost that game 63-60 to Pitt today. Pitt scored 64 in just the second half. I'll just leave oh that. Oh, my God, that's true. Oh, that's te- that's not good. <laughs> we, lost just whole, shit. we lost a game with the same team, giving up less points in the entire game than we gave up in one half today. Wow, I didn't even make that connection until you just said that. That's so not good. And uh, that first game, Pitt was missing their best player, Justin Champagny, who played today. We'll get to that. They were also missing three other scholarship players. Uh, that game broke a seven-game losing streak for Pitt against Syracuse. It was the first half. Syracuse led 30-12, to 12, and then were outscored 51-30 for the rest of the game. Kind of similar to the second half today, but that was more spread out of a, I guess, collapse. It's not really a, I don't want to use that word, but it's kind of the best way to describe it. Big story, SU demolished on the, on the boards. That's kind of how the game got away. 49-33, Pitt had the advantage, and 20-9 on the offensive glass. 21 second chance points for Pitt. We had three. Pitt had 28 points to our 12 in the paint. No Sidibe, plus Quincy was in foul trouble. And I mean, that, that's, you can't, we're not going to win many games like that one because we're small anyway. You may want to you may want to just clip that sentence. No Sidibe, plus Quincy was in foul trouble and we lost. Like You might be able to, lo- to use that for like six different games this season and just put in that sound bite. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah, it, it's, that's the only consistent thing about this team. <laughs> uh, s- shot selection in, against Pitt the first time was iffy. Uh, sh- as you started out hot, but never moved away f- from three, but never kind of. And then when they started to struggle, they never moved away from it. They had 11 overrun to start the game. Alan Griffin had eight of those points, but then five of 19 from three in the second half. Joe Girard did not play well. Um, they just, it, that whole, the first Pitt game, Keith, it just seemed like the offensive strategy was let's dribble around the arc and fire one up. There was 
no attempt to work the ball inside, which I'm going to flip it today. One of the positives to take away from the game that happened today against Pitt was we actually tried to work the ball inside a little bit in the second half, and it worked. But the first game against Pitt was not good in that regard. 12 of 38 from three, 22 of 60 from the field. So it's the best part. Game, though was the forward play Quincy had 17 uh, um well Quincy had 17 minutes only five boards three points uh but Braswell uh four threes right in a row and then we didn't get him the ball the rest of the game it just yep. seemed like you would you would want to feed the hot hand um but yeah no Quincy allowed Braswell to step up a little bit and he's been fairly solid since but um, his play was probably the, the biggest bright spot, but like I said, after he hit those four threes, we really didn't get it back to him much at all. Yeah, and that was part, those threes were part of a run that put us up 14 in the second half, and then Pitt just kept clawing away. Odie's Tony had the game-winning tip, and with five seconds left, he could pick the lead. Then we couldn't get the ball in bounds. They shot two, three throws, and that was that. Uh, putting tip, mind you, off inherently an offensive rebound, which... Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Uh, that's what kills us down the stretch. Yep. Uh, Buddy struggled that against Pitt the first time. He struggled today again, too. 3 of 12, 2 of 10 from 3, only 8 points. Joe Girard, 8 points, 3 of 11 from the floor, 2 of 8 from 3. You brought, you said Quincy. He was in foul trouble the entire game. Brazel had a career high in points and threes. But we also didn't see Kadari a ton down the stretch. He hadn't played a ton against Georgetown or North Carolina either. I think he might have been cramping up against Georgetown. I saw a lot of stuff that he was on the bike a, a bunch on the sideline. Uh, but I, I think he's going to – I think now especially he's going to play a ton because I, I think he sparked Syracuse coming off the bench a little bit today, but then it went downhill anyway, so who knows. Um, We've been saying that for weeks, though. Like, I know. To get more minutes. He should get more minutes. I don't. I, I'm with it, you on that, but do you think it'll actually happen? No, I don't. <laughs> That's the problem. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Do you? Probably not. I mean, really, probably not. Beheim's the type to stick with his guys, and we can have a larger discussion later on. But do you think, as it stands right now, that it's most effective to have Buddy and Gerard playing together? I think Quint. I think uh, Kadari with either of those guys is a better matchup per se. We do space the floor, but we're spacing the floor anyway because we don't have a true center. So what does what does that extra floor space get you if those guys are missing shots when you don't have anyone who can drive the lane like Kadari can? Right, and I th- I think Kadari is also better defensively than Joe Girard. I I, t- I tend to see the, the zone. The zone rotations are much better. Like when we, when it's when it's Buddy and Joe at the top, they're both together at the top of the at the top of the zone, like right at the top of the key, which I don't think is technically how they're supposed to be set up. They're more spread out when it's Kadari and Buddy at the top of the zone. But yeah, well, I'm not. The last thing we want to do because we know how much Jim Beheim listens to our pod is <laughs> loyal listener Jim Beheim. His, his pet peeve <laughs> of telling him how the zone is supposed to be played. Um, I tend to think that's probably more of a coaching thing. Like, hey, this is where you're best laterally in the passing lanes, whereas Kadari maybe can get over to some different spots. Um, so I don't know if they're necessarily in the wrong spot, but I would totally agree with you overall that the zone is much more effective at the top with Kadari in there just because yeah. of his length and quickness. So 
I think it's a good way to transition to the Georgetown game, uh, talking about the zone rotations. Beheim Braswell, I think, had a good game. He didn't have as many points as he did, but he had a couple of really good defensive plays. He had a good rotation for a steal that led to a Beheim three, and he had a good transition block that led to, I think, an Alan Griffin three in that Georgetown game. There were two huge buckets. Beheim actually said that he's the best player on the team rotating from the forward position and getting steals, and he saved two buckets against Georgetown. Um, which, nice block at the end, by the way, in that in that game. Very good block. He's had a, cu- he's had a couple um, good games in a row, decent games in a row, I should say. I think he's maybe starting to claw his way into having a role. But yeah, with, who knows where the, where, where this team's going to go? So Georgetown overall, SU again had a big lead, led by sixteen with thirteen minutes to go. Held on to win by five, seventy four to sixty nine. Georgetown did get within three late. Sidibe missed his eighth game in a row. He's now missed ten in a row, counting today's game against, against Pittsburgh. Rebounding was better in this game. SU led thirty eight thirty two. Only seven second chance points for Georgetown. And uh, interesting stat, Syracuse is 7-0 when out-rebounding teams, which is from Noon's Magician. 9 of 22 from 3. Shot selection was better. Uh, they shot 40 non-threes, so better than the pits, the first pit game. But Buddy and Joe Girard played better. Buddy had 21. Joe Girard had 18. Again, this is only six minutes for Kari Richmond, but this is the game where he said he was on the bike a ton. Quincy with 12, Marek with 11. They both barely missed double-doubles. This one, I think I think SU has a habit of when they get a big lead, letting it get close. But I think this one was a all-around pretty good effort against, I'm going to say, a very average Georgetown team. I think that's being nice. <laughs> it is. It is uh, being nice for sure, especially in the preseason when Patrick Ewing was asked about them being last in the in the Big East projections, and he said something about start from the bottom. Now we're here, basically just like agreeing, like yeah, we're we're probably the worst team in the conference. I, he said he said something like, yeah, no, I'd have us last too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's it's kind of like division games in football, where you see like back in years past, like the Patriots always in tight games with the Dolphins, even though the Dolphins were were pretty bad at that point. It's like whenever you play Georgetown, throw the records out. I know it's cliche. But that doesn't mean that a five-point win against this Georgetown team is anything to be impressed with. Right. Uh, but the one positive takeaway is – another positive takeaway, excuse me, is Marek Dolzai apparently does not feel pain after taking an elbow to the face and losing. Well, he ran to the locker room, right? And then Mayheim was like, no, get back out here. You only hurt your tooth. Yeah, he started to. And Mayheim was like, no, you got to get back out there. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> that was that was a fun moment for us. I love the, uh, the choose-your-fighter tweet we – tweeted out for the UNC game with Tyler Hansborough bloodied against Duke and, and Gerald Henderson with yeah. uh, the side-by-side of Marek. That was a solid one. Tyler Hansborough. I'm not a big, I'm not a big Carolina fan. You know that, but I love Tyler Hansborough. He was such a good college player. Like OT. So fun to watch too. That, that 09. He was, he was, he was the, the face of college basketball. Like he, he, was. he was a solid pro, never a great one, but he was really fun at UNC. Back to Georgetown, there's um, the big lead and then kind of letting it get close. Do you think in the future, is that something to keep an eye on? Is that cause for concern that this, this was the second game in a row where we had a big lead and to kind of let it get away? But we got we actually held on to win this time. I think the cause for concern is the second half play overall. Like, even if you throw Georgetown out of here, how many games have we talked about where we had a good first half and then 
all things went up in flames in the second. I Do you think that's more of a pit game today being the, the biggest example? Do you think that's more of us being tired with the minutes, us just not being the same team in the second half? Like, what is what is causing us to just collapse for the last 20 minutes of these ball games? Uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I, I think maybe it's it's getting Syracuse gets a little complacent, and they I don't want to say stop trying, but like I, I feel like they get complacent. You think and like, they oh, play their the the classic saying playing not to lose instead of playing to win. Do you think yeah. it's that? Yeah, I think maybe they take I think their the foot off the gas a little certainly bit. That too plays a factor, and the the lack of depth at center teams kind of wears down inside. Where maybe guys like Quincy and Marek can plug up the middle for. 20 minutes, but maybe they can't do it for, for 40 against guys that are outsized by. So, but that's, that's been the big cause for concern for me is just where you have been a first half team for a majority of the season. Yeah. And that's a good way to put it before I want to talk more about the Carolina game and the second pit game. So one more, just quick thing from Georgetown. Um, to you, do you think the rivalry's lost its luster? Has it kind of, is it, I feel, because I feel like now it's just more of a rivalry just for the fans. Like, they play in the Big East, we're in the ACC, different leagues. The players don't, it's, I feel like to the players just in the game, to me the Georgetown rivalry is kind of just like, it's just for the fans at this point. I'd say so too. I, I think the players kind of, they understand it, but they don't feel it. I would say rivalries in general in college basketball, like, Duke UNC is probably the big one. You get some, some like Cincinnati Xavier is still big, but with the landscape of college basketball and the AAU circuit and guys knowing everybody, like it's, it's just not, you don't see the same guys for four years. It's not Pearl every year versus Ewing every year, four times. And there's bad blood from two matchups four different times. Like it's, it's not the same in that regard. It's not the same because of the conference realignment. And it's not the same because of uh, Georgetown just being so in the dumps these past <laughs> few years. Um, so it's it's all different there, but I think there is still an edge when you play Georgetown. You you, you kind of think it means more, and maybe that's me as a fan rather than the players. But I do think it's still a rivalry, and it's still probably our biggest one, but I don't think it's nearly the same as even those last few years of the Big East. You could argue we don't even have a true rival anymore. Like, who would it be? It'd be Pitt? We play them twice a year, every year. But like, no. Did, did you feel like this game meant more today when it tipped off? Absolutely not. No, that, it's not a rivalry. And that's Maybe my point. We don't have for for a time period, but again, we don't really play them that much. Well, I think it was toward the end of the Big East. I think it was more so UConn because UConn was really good and we were both really good. But in Georgetown, I think it kind of slipped a little bit, if that's a fair way to put it. But like Georgetown was still decent, but they weren't like. National championship, Georgetown. I, I would still say Georgetown was our top rival then, but I think UConn was a close second. Yeah. And I think if, if the conference realignment was handled differently and maybe UConn is in the ACC in some alternate universe, I think UConn is, is our biggest rival in 2021, like I in present day. But I still think it's Georgetown. I just don't think it's quite the same as it was in years past. No, I think that's fair. All right, let's jump to uh, Carolina. So going into, going into this game, I think the narrative was Carolina is going to kill us on the boards because no City Bay and Carolina always kills us on the boards. Yeah, exactly. And having some flashbacks of Kennedy Meeks back in 2015, just grabbing every offensive. I know. Reason. Yeah. 
leading into it, I didn't think Carolina was anything special. I, I, I still don't think Carolina is like extra. They're not to me. Carolina is not more than like an average team. I think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but they'll be like a. They fell today to uh, Florida State without. Scott did they lose Martin again for Florida State? Um, which they've is been, still a good team, but without one of their best players at FSU. They've been on like the bubble of like first four in, last four out, first four out or whatever for a couple of weeks from the bracket blogs. Ever. So I, I think Carolina's going to get in, but if they get in, they're going to be like a 10, 11, 9 seed at, at the most. I don't think Carolina's very special. They struggle to shoot. Um, like they're coming into, wanna, into the Syracuse. I know we want to make this about Hughes here, but UNC is 8 and 5 right now. And I don't really see what their best win is. I mean, they lost to Iowa by 13. They beat Kentucky, which, like, who cares this season? Notre Dame by one, and then us. Like, they have some solid wins, but Syracuse is 7-4 and four right now, and we're about to tear into them after this pit game. If we go 1-1 one and one in our next two, we're at the same spot UNC is. And we play them again, too. But, yeah, that's why I, I just don't think – I. I in general, I think the ACC is kind of very average again. Like, who's the best team? It's, pro- it's probably Louisville or Clemson, which it's not football, so that's kind of weird. Um, but, I'll yeah, give, I, I I'll just – I'll give you the Titus and Tate question from this past week. Who from the ACC, if I told you there's one team from the ACC making the Final Four, who is that team? Before this season, I would have said Virginia. Right now – Yeah, that's what I would have said. Probably Louisville. Just because uh, I feel like saying Clemson, maybe, but they've had their struggles too. I I would probably say Louisville because I think it's hard to see Clemson in the Final Four. I think it's also hard to see Virginia Tech in the Final Four, even though Tech's, I think, exceeded expectations and good for them. Um, But, like, even Duke's ranked. I don't think they should be ranked. I I, I just – I don't think Duke has any – I don't think Duke has any good wins. They lost – they lost to Illinois, Michigan State at home. I think their best win is Notre Dame, like, and that's not saying much. You know who else they beat, though, is the doubters. All the doubters, the haters, the haters are their motivators. <laughs> what is Coach it's K's them versus the, the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Um, anyway, back to our game. <laughs> it, it, it kind of played out the way it was supposed to or the way we thought it would. I remember the announcers at one point said the best – shot for Carolina is a missed shot, a missed jump shot, because then they get the offensive rebound down low and just lay it in. And so these are the, this is basically, these four stats are the difference. Carolina out-rebounded us 48-31, 24-10 on the offensive boards, 24-4 on second-chance points, and 42-24 in the paint. That's it. That's the difference in the game right there. And that's the way it's always been whenever we play Carolina, except last year in the ACC tournament when Steve was in. Yeah, yeah, pretty much hit it on the head. We cannot rebound against UNC. I mean, there was one possession with what? They had seven shots almost. I think I counted that, seven. They had seven scoring chances, they, and they missed all of them because yep. they're, not a, they're not a very good shooting team. Um, yep. But, yeah, Quincy had 23-11 in that game, another double-double, but he fouled out late. Buddy had 18 all in the first half. He was unconscious in the first half. Then – Carolina kind of cued in on him, and that let Quincy get hot. Again, the offense looked best when Syracuse was driving to the basket in that game. Yeah, they did hit 10 threes, but it, it, it seemed like they, it was a game they weren't focusing on, hey, let's shoot 85 threes. They actually mixed it in and went to the basket. And again, 
just got killed on the on the glass, and that was that. And Again, I think that this game is a missed opportunity in general. Think about the history of Syracuse and UNC in recent memory. We cannot beat North Carolina. I couldn't tell you when the last time was that that we beat UNC. Um, maybe once in the last five, six years. The ACC <laughs> tournament last year. That was it. Right, and that and then, yeah, the whole weird and, then be- and then before thing. that, it was um. Our first year in the ACC, uh, we were undefeated. Carolina wasn't ranked. It was at the Dome on like a Saturday afternoon or something. So and- I, we probably put more stock into it than the players, but I'm sure there's a certain element in their minds of like, man, we can't beat this team no matter who's on it. Oh, there absolutely and is. The fact that you have a, a team in a down year like this, you have an opportunity to to get a win and get a win when you don't even have to play your absolute best. Like a lot of, based on the talent differential, a lot of years you would just look at this matchup and say, SU has got to play a pretty much perfect game to beat UNC. It was far from it this year. And we couldn't, couldn't finish the deal. So overall, just a missed opportunity. Uh, A couple of Jim Bayham quotes post-Carolina. I thought we did an unbelievable job tonight. Our offense was good enough, which I agree with. They were just too big for us inside. They are a big, a big game. They're difficult for us. We almost did play a perfect game on offense against UNC. Um, we didn't really play. We really played them really well. It was a close game. We had two open threes late, which I think we were down by either three or four and missed both of them. We just didn't hit them. And then the last quote I pulled was, they did a really good job on Buddy in the second half. They didn't leave him since it opened it up for other guys like Quincy Gary, which I think you saw. Gary turned it on in the second half. Um uh, Alan Griffin had 16 points, but there's one thing I want to point out, which I think the announcers also called on in that game. He seems to settle for more threes. Like there was one point where he was a couple feet inside the arc. He consciously stepped back behind the arc and shot the three. And the color guy's like, "Look, you don't need to. Sh- you don't need to do that. Take the open shot. It's a little closer. It's better. It's a better look." Then Carolina, a couple of possessions later, same thing. Guard got the rebound just inside the arc. He didn't take the step back. He shot the the open two, hit it, and the announcer's like, yes, Alan Griffin needs to watch that play, and that's what he needs to do, which, which I agree, agree with. I think Alan Griffin's had his struggles. I think he's been a little inconsistent. But I think his two biggest things to me are, A, he tries to do too much with the ball. He turns too many, too many turnovers. And then I think he just settles for too many bad, bad threes. I see a little bit of Scoop Jardine in Alan Griffin, the no, 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 yes type of player where yeah. – He'll drive you crazy, and then he'll take, like, a double-clutch contested jumper, and it'll go in when SU hasn't had a bucket in a while, and you're like, I guess that's what we needed. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you, you kind of take the, the good with the bad, but overall, he's been scoring, and I would say Alan Griffin's probably the best shot creator on this team. Would you agree? Uh, either him or Quincy, but... um. But Quincy doesn't create as much. His are more inside, just kind of powering through guys. You can say Kadari is a very good shot creator, even if he's not creating shots for himself. I think he does a good job yes, of penetrating. In his eight minutes a game. <laughs> well, that's my point, though. That's why right. I think he should play no, more. I, I hear you. I hear you. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think Griffin does have some, some spots where you look at it and it kind of drives you crazy. But overall, I think he's been a good addition. And, um. Yeah, kind of a, a weird one today against Pitt when he went out with a minute into the game and then ended yeah, up. Yeah, that was weird. But yeah. Um, so big thing, no Sadibi again against Carolina. This was his ninth straight game mixed missed. Uh, Beheim was asked 
for an update after the game, he, he kind of cut off the reporter and said, I don't, it might have been Stephen Bailey, I don't know who it was. He said, quote, he's not playing, he cannot play, I'm not a doctor, all I can tell you is he cannot play. And then he went on to say that they don't really have a plan at center, which is not what you want to hear, and I think it's a little frustrating because we need a center. We kind of need a plan at center with the guys like... And he doesn't seem comfortable playing Jesse Edwards. He doesn't seem comfortable playing Bull Ajak. I understand Woody Newton is in COVID protocols. So I think we can do there. Frank Anselm yeah. is, is in COVID protocols. And Beham said he's out at least two more weeks. So he's basically out for the season. Kind of implying that by the time he got back into shape, that it would be for a, a lost cause almost. So not a good spot at, at the five spot for SU. No, and I, I, I think that just kind of feeds into our frustration about not being able to land a big-time center or even just big-time – like, even just depth, someone who can fill in if if needed for City Bay. And he, he clearly doesn't think it's Woody, uh, Woody Newton. He clearly doesn't think it's John Belajac or or Jesse Edwards because he doesn't play him. Like, Jesse yeah. had – he came in a little bit against Carolina, and there was one play, like, he got the ball in the corner but not outside the arc. And he, like, held the ball for, like, 10 seconds and then, like, panicked and turned the ball over. Like, it looked like he did not want the ball in his hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, – and they have saying John Bolajak being too small. I was I was actually a little surprised. We talked about it earlier this season. He played quite a bit early on and then just sort of faded away as ACC play started. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we work with Edwards every day. He was a project from the get-go. You knew he'd be a project. Um, and, yeah, like you said, we don't have uh, any big men that are that are too big. Like, Quincy is, is 220, and he is the heaviest guy on the team at 220. That's that's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other centers, John Bolajak is at 215. Um, Marek's 201. Jesse Edwards, 215. Uh Let's see. We got Barama's at two eighteen. So even Woody Newton is at two hundred. Those those weights are probably generous, by the way. Woody Newton, think of his frame right now as a freshman. The heaviest guy in the team is only twenty pounds more than that. That that's pretty nuts. So it's not ideal size, I know some of the the recruits we have uh, coming up, like uh, for instance, Riley Mulvey uh, is a guy from Albany that we're targeting. He's already six eleven, two thirty. So hopefully they're they're trying to get some guys in here with bulk. I know Beheim has mentioned that, but right now there's just no answer in, in the ACC, and I can see the frustration with a lot of SU fans because it's been since Rakeem left that we've had a true, true big center. I know Daywan Coleman had had some knee issues, but he was at least uh, bulky inside, even though he may not have had the height. Even since then, we, we really haven't had much at all from that spot. It's been. It's been pretty frustrating. It really has. And I, under, I understand the frustration, but I also think – I don't think it's for a lack of trying. I don't think Beheim's saying, like, oh, look at this five-star center from, who's seven foot six and 300 pounds. Like, no thank you. I think he's trying, but for whatever reason, they just don't want to come here. And you but can, I'll say this, though. We've taken a, a lot of flyers on guys, like Jesse Edwards included. And this isn't a, a shot at him by any means or any of the, the different uh, players we've recruited – but even if you don't get the five-star guy, once you say, okay, we got to take a flyer on a center, let's get the guy who's 6'11", 240, and a three-star versus 
someone who's way skinnier, <laughs> knowing you have that issue? I would. Yeah. You, you would think, right? Not that those guys are just sitting around, these talented ACC-level centers that aren't recruited, but you, you get my point there. Is like, if you're going to take a flyer, you might as well take a flyer with that build. Right. No, I agree with that. I, I just – yeah, I, I agree. And I think that leads into uh, today's events at the Peterson Event Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania – the first half went okay. Uh, SU actually was up 20 to 6 points in the paint, led 37-32 at the half, and then the wheels fell off. Uh, Pitt, as I think Keith said, put up 64 points in the second half went for a 96-76 win. 96 was the season high for the Panthers. I mean, nothing at all went well for Syracuse in that in the game today, Pitt out actually hit eight of eight. Pitt was eight of 23 from three. We were three of 22. And remember Pitt, Pitt's supposed to be a not so great shooting team. Justin Champagny had a surprise appearance. He wasn't supposed to play 24 points, nine of 18 from the floor. So a good return for him. It was just, and then it just looked to me like Syracuse was just not interested in being there. They looked like, it just they just didn't look like they looked like they didn't want to be there. They were disinterested. It was just it was a very disheartening loss. And I I think for a lot of the fan base I was seeing on Twitter only amplifies the frustration of the last couple of years. And Maddie Gutierrez um, from the Athletic I think summed it up pretty good, pretty well. SU was ball watching shots, not boxing out, hundred percent. SU's not getting back in transition. Shot selection is questionable. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of fair. And SU does not have a center, which, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And, th- and then another stat I found on Twitter, in their last three conference games, SU was minus 45 in rebounding. You cannot compete with discrepancies like that. Uh, Keith, what were your main takeaways from today's game against Pitt? That we got bullied, like straight up. We just got bullied by a pit team that is probably less talented of a roster than we have. Ha- didn't have anyone to compete with with Champagny. I mean, Griffin had 26. Like Quincy was up and down, but there's no. I'll put it this way: not to harp on the center stuff too much, but if you're relying on Barama City Bay uh, to rejuvenate your team you're probably not in the best spot to begin with. <laughs> so No, and that's not about this. On his, a, a player of his caliber, which is a solid piece on an ACC team, should not be the end-all, be-all for your team's success. No, and I agree with that. And that's, that's not a knock against Sidibe. I think he had a pretty – he had a very good end of the year last year. It's just he's a – it's a big missing piece to a team that's lacking any kind of size – and I think asking Rectology to play 40 minutes a night out of position is a lot to ask. And I just don't think – it's, it's not for success. And I, this team's not going to – this team's not going to be an NCAA tournament team if, if this continues. If you put sophomore year Fab Mello on this team, what would be our prospects in the year 2021? I think we're probably a top 25 team, right? Like, it's, I've, we've struggled at the guard position, don't get me wrong, but 
we really aren't missing, totally missing anything besides a center. Like that is a glaring, glaring hole. You look at some of the pieces we have though, Dolajai is a good player. Uh, Kadari is an athletic guard. We have shooters. Alan Griffin can get you some buckets. We just are so depleted inside that teams can just force us to beat us from the outside because we don't have inside scoring other than Quincy, who's been one of our most consistent players. And inside, they can just, on the offensive end for the other teams, they can just bully us down low. Like, I don't know. We, we don't have to get into the hypotheticals, but I'm just saying, if you put a really good defensive center who can get you 12, 14 points a game, I think this is a completely different team, but it doesn't erase some of the other issues we've been having. It's a, it's a different team if you have someone down there who's solid and can do what you're saying, but also I don't know if that would change the fact that we've gotten su- such inconsistent play from the backcourt and from Alan Griffin to a lesser extent. I, I think... Alan Griffin has had his inconsistencies, and I still think he turns the ball over a little too much. Um, but I, I think the fact that Buddy and Joe Girard have had so much, like, wildly inconsistent games. Like, Buddy will put up 25 one night and then get shut out the next day. And Joe Girard will look like Steph Curry one night and then look like me playing at the YMCA the next day. Like... I, I think the center would help, but I don't think I, I think the team would be better. But I don't think this the with the team now would be a top twenty team, twenty five team. I don't. No, I just, that's that's fair. I probably overshot on that regard. I guess my overall point is, you look at all these guys, and I'm I'm kind of sick of seeing the comments in different spots about like, oh, these guys aren't Division One players or these aren't ACC players. Like, they all are, but they're asking being asked to do things that previous Syracuse teams wouldn't have them do. Like in previous Syracuse teams, Buddy would not have to take over. Gerard would not have to take over. Uh, Quincy's probably the closest thing we have to a star, but these were all like complimentary pieces with a really, really good star player mixed in like a CJ fair or, um, you know, Rakeem, his senior, even though that team wasn't great. Um, Deion, like you name it, they they were they were all really good complimentary players, but we just don't have that star. Well, that's the problem though. Like you're recruiting the complimentary pieces, but you can't. Instead of going for maybe more, I don't even know how to word it. More established high school players who can take on bigger roles, I guess, when they get here. Like you can't win by just recruiting the complimentary pieces. Like you need the bigger. Star yep. pieces. And again, like I said with the centers, for some reason they just don't want to come here anymore. And I don't think it's because Beheim's like, ew, this five-star, get him away from me. I just I just think there's something that they just don't want to come anymore. And it's just... I, I don't know. We it's It's been a lot of bad luck, too. Like, doesn't doesn't excuse the recruiting issues, especially at center. But we've had guys like Baisley and like Dior who have committed and just were just weird cases where they didn't end up on campus. I think Benny Williams will be very, very good next year and has star potential. But it's that that's a whole other conversation. But I do think the end result we agree on is like the roster isn't the same as we've seen in that golden era from like 2008 mm-hmm. to like 2014. It was just like it's just a drop off overall. And it sucks to see, but maybe we'll get back there soon. And And think about it. Think about it too. Twenty thirteen, eight years ago, realistically, Syracuse was a four, Syracuse was pl- 
was a contender for a national championship. They were a Brandon Trish charge call away from playing Louisville in that championship game, which I think Syracuse fans don't want to hear. I think that was probably a good call. Um, Mm. I think it was a charge, but it is what it is. They also still another chance to come down and uh, try and tie it or kind of do everything. Trevor Cooney turning the ball over. That was eight years ago. It wasn't like it was 20 years ago. Syracuse was realistically contending for a national championship earlier, like less than a decade ago. I'm not saying they're never going to get back to that case, but I think it's going to take some work. I think some things are clearly going to have to change for them to get back to that. Because this is what, let's, uh, we'll disregard 2014 because we were number one in the country a lot that year. We were a three seed in the tournament. From 2015 on, SU's been 15, I'm going to count, even though we were, had the self-imposed ban, have been a bubble team every single year. Except our senior year, I would say we were solidly in, but we were still only an eight seed. So, yeah, yep. Even those, you look at the the Tyler Ennis team on in 2014. We've either had a good regular season team or a good postseason team, one or the other. We haven't had both. The good regular season team was that Tyler Ennis year where they kind of fell off at the end of the regular season in the mm. ACC tournament. Ended up losing in what the second round. Um, to Dayton. Then, what's that? It was to Dayton in the second round. Yep, to Dayton, and then. Um, the Final Four team was a good postseason team, but they barely squeaked in the field to begin with and ended up yeah. making that run. We haven't had a team that's been both. Like We haven't had the, the one seed make a Final Four run, or we haven't had the, the regular season success overall. It's just been unable to put those two pieces together. Since 2013. like re- Realistically, yeah. in that, like Brandon Trish's four years, there were three teams that really could have won a national championship. If yeah. things fell the right way, and they just didn't, um, so it, deep those SU teams, yeah, so so deep. Well, that's the thing; they were so deep, and these the teams we've had in the last six years have not been. When no. we're like we, and it, I, I don't know. It's just it's frustrating, and I understand fan I, fans I've seen on Twitter have gotten more and more frustrated as the year has gone on. I don't think How I've seen. Like, no, I, I don't blame them, and I, I don't think I've seen Syracuse fans this upset for not football. Maybe <laughs> ever, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think there's any possibility of this being the equivalent of the Liberty game in football, where we look at it and we say, "Oh, this is a terrible loss." Don't get me wrong; there's no situation on earth where Syracuse should lose by twenty to Pitt, but Pitt's seven and two. They haven't played anybody. Do you think there's any chance that Pitt ends up being a pretty decent team with Champagny this year? Or do you think this is as bad as it looks today and it's just like a, a terrible loss? I've seen some pit fans saying, like, when Champagne went out, they were kind of disappointed. Like, oh, this team could have put something together and maybe made a turn, made the tournament as, like, a look, 10 or 11. But, again, they haven't played anybody. And I inc- that includes us, I'm going to say. That includes us. And I just don't think a team that has a loss is St. Francis of Pennsylvania – Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think so. I think this is going to be a bad loss. I don't think this Pitt team is an NCAA tournament team. Could they be? Sure, because they haven't played the meat of their ACC schedule, and who knows? Maybe they pull out a couple wins against teams. But right, I just don't. I think this is going to be when the season when when this season is all said and done in May when the NCAA tournament happens. I I just we're going to look back and be like I I just. I don't know. I, I think I, I, how drastically different these four games could have been 
as far as it relates to our season as a whole. When I tell you the games we're recapping on this pod, Pitt, Georgetown, UNC, Pitt, and we go one and three in that stretch, you should be three and one at least, I would say, in that in those two games. And and if we are, this season's looking a whole lot differently than it is as it stands. Yeah. Um, one more thing, and then I want to kind of I want to talk about um, maybe what our expectations are the rest of the year. There was a quote from Matthew Gutierrez that he tweeted out um, about a half hour ago. Mayhem on Joe Girard. He hasn't played well overall. He's had a couple of good games, which I think is fair. Adds teams have slowed down Kadaria Richmond, and SU doesn't have many options at the guard spot. Okay. So we don't have a plan for center, and we don't have any options at the guard spot. You can't say that in back-to-back games. Like, I'm sorry, and I'm going to defend Jim Beham, but Jim, that's on you. If we don't have any other options at guard or at center, you're the guys who are you're the one who's bringing people here. Like, I, I, I don't. Number one, I want to honestly. I would probably put Kadari Richmond in the starting lineup on Tuesday night when we play next. I just don't. Joe Girard has just not played well, and I like Joe Girard. He just hasn't gotten it done, and I think maybe giving Kadari Richmond that starting role would maybe spark something. Because I think today when he came in, he spark- he gave us a little spark. We got back in the game, and then it went to hell. But still, I think when he's in there, he does a much better job of Joe Girard, number one, playing defense, two, being able to drive to the back and create chances for himself and others. And I just don't think Joe Girard does that. And the fact that we don't have any options at the guard spot we have options at the guard spot. I, I just don't, he just, I think Beheim just doesn't want to make the, make the changes. Like, I think he wants to stick with Buddy and I think he wants to stick with Joe Girard and he does not want to play anybody else. And I just, I don't know. That's frustrating. That's very frustrating to me to see, to see him say that. That bothers me. And not too long ago, Beheim said that Kadari was, I don't remember the exact quote, but the best, most far along we've had at that time in a number that he remembers in recent memory. So if you say that, that he's that far along and that solid at the point guard spot, and you've had someone struggling like Joe Girard, based on your own comments, wouldn't you want to make that move? Like if you yes. have someone that's that good and your starter's struggling that much, why wouldn't you switch it? He also said teams have slowed down Kadari Richmond. He hasn't played. Like, he hasn't played at all in the last, like, four games. He played a little more today um, just because of this, just because of the situation. Like, he had, where is he? Two points in 18 minutes. I mean, but he also had three assists, a couple, three boards. I mean, that's so, so Joe Girard only had two, Joe Girard had two points in 22 minutes. And they were both from the line. He didn't hit a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I don't know where we go from here. I really don't. Like if, if Barama is out as long as Beheim says he is, and if our guards continue to put up performances like they're doing today, doesn't matter I will, how many okay, three pounds Quincy gets, doesn't matter how many threes Alan Griffin hits, we're we're not gonna compete with teams in the ACC if this continues. Nope. And I will i I'm gonna give Beheim a little bit of slack for a second. I know I just said I was frustrated, but with well, actually no, because I would say like with City Bay out, he's got to play Alan Griffin at the 
three instead of maybe rotating him up to play two and letting Kari run point or letting Alan Griffin or somebody run point and maybe giving Buddy a break or and giving Joe a, a reduced role. Like based on his handling today, his ball handling today, though, I don't think you want Alan Griffin running the point. <laughs> No, that's fair, but something different. Yeah. We've clearly seen this you. doesn't work. Something has to change. I'm not opposed to having Griffin. Excuse me. I'm not opposed to having Gerard, Kadari, and Buddy all on the floor at the same time when Griffin's out. That's a small lineup, though. It's even smaller than what we've been what we've been running. Although I wouldn't it's hate it. No, like that. positionally, yes, but Kadari Richmond is taller than Alan Griffin. Well, that's true. In we did we did see Richie's and Beheim said he could play one through four, I think, or one through three. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe just do something. I think I think Kadari Richmond one hundred percent needs a bigger role on this team, and I don't think that's a hot take. You know who agrees with you? Eton Thomas tweeted out. He does agree with me. Hashtag free Kadari. Eton, come on the pod, baby. Um, and every time, yeah, every time you see different clips of of. Guys, whether it's Corey Alexander doing the game or even Eric Devendorf on his podcast, or like, I love what I see out of Kadari Richmond. And how many times, as much as I love Gerard, how many times have we been able to say that out of for Joe Gerard this year? I love what I see out of this guy. He's got crazy good potential. It's like nothing. I, I, I maybe he had the good. But. His best game was against Ryder, who's like a bottom three hundred team in college basketball. Like, is it me or does Gerard seem to? See, always have his best games against the, the lower competition. Maybe I don't think that's, that's just, just you. I don't think that's just you. Yeah. Like last year, last year he balled out against Notre Dame both times. Um, yep. 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 I, 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 I don't know. I think more so last year he played better against the good teams, but it, he wasn't like, again, he wasn't like a Trey Jones or somebody like that. who's going to turn it on and like beat the number three team in the country. Single handle. I just, I don't know, and I don't want to knock Joe Girard because I like Joe Girard. <laughs> My mom, not a fan of Joe Girard. <laughs> no, um, no. We were watching the Georgetown game, and he like pulled up from half court. And she's like, "Oh my god, what are you? What are you doing?" Blah blah blah. I don't like that. Game. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's frustrating because he hasn't played. He took four shots today. It's he took, and I don't know. Maybe his confidence is shaken. Maybe I, I, I just think so. Which, I, could you imagine saying that? It, this time last year that Joe Girard lacks confidence. It's like, that's the one thing he's got based on Glenn's falls, just letting it rip from wherever. And I think part of it is last season when he came in, nobody expected him to be the starting point guard and play that many minutes as a freshman. And then when he did and he played pretty well, it kind of shattered all the expectations. And naturally myself included, everyone was waiting for that big jump in his sophomore year. And it really hasn't happened. No, me too. No, and I, I picked Joe Girard to be our MVP um, beginning of the season, and that's clearly not happening. Um, but would you start Kadari against Miami on Tuesday? I would do the classic Bayheim move of keeping Girard in there to start, and then at the under four or like 17-minute mark, throw Kadari in there. Hmm. Keep, give, give Joe Girard that starting spot, but Play Kadari probably more minutes than Gerard gets. That's fair. I would I would start him honestly at this point. Like, why not? At this point, this team's not going to make the tournament based on what we're playing unless something changes. So why not mix it up a little bit? Uh, 
that's last thing I want to talk about is changing expectations for this team. What what are your expectations now for the Syracuse team as we come into the stretch run of the twenty twenty one season? Provided it finishes. Yeah, that's that's tough. And before the season I think we said what, eight, nine seed has the, the potential to be. Yes. And I wouldn't say the tournament is totally out of the question, but based on today, it's not looking great. Obviously, the, ch- the schedule could change at any point, but what we're looking at next for SU is Miami, Virginia Tech, Virginia, NC State, Louisville, Clemson, NC State, Boston College. It's, there's no team you look at that and say SU is totally outmatched, but there's no game on that schedule where you say it's a definite win. Uh, BC, 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 I would say, is probably the closest one to that. Yep, yep, and that's not till February. Uh, that's we're looking at a month out, so it's going to be a tough stretch. I, I think the next three or four games will really determine the course for the rest of the season. And who knows, like, who knows when Barama's back? Who knows if Anselm will be ready to play at all? I just think, sadly, my ceiling right now is that that first four in, last four out group. <laughs> but I, I didn't see a tournament team on the floor today, that's for sure. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head. I think the ceiling right now is going to Dayton. Well, I guess it's not Dayton this year, but being in that last four in category, playing in the first four, and then getting a shot at a five seed or a six seed. And then if not, it's an NIT. And that's if the NIT, I don't even know if the NIT is being played this year. I, I, I really don't. Um, that, again, that could change because there are resume building opportunities on the schedule. Virginia, Virginia Tech, Louisville, NC State, Clemson, who's really good this year. Even more lesser games like Duke and Carolina again. Um, the opportunity for resume building wins are there. It's just whether or not the team can capitalize. And based off of what I saw today, I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. I'll give you two questions. Go for First it. of all, we know Syracuse's history with Pitt. What does today's game look like if it was Jamie Dixon instead of Jeff Capel at the helm? <laughs> Jamie Dixon would be standing on the scorer's table dancing. He'd be so happy. <laughs> I know he hasn't been a world beater at TCU. But he really seemed to have SU's number as, as Pitt's coach. He did. He's a good coach. Jimmy Dixon is. Is a, say what you want about Jimmy Dixon. He's a very good coach. I'm curious, and I know it's it's weird to say with the Pitt team that's now 7-2 and two and just beat SU by 20. How much do you think Pitt regrets sort of forcing out Jamie Dixon? I know the official word was that he left on his own accord, but it seemed like he was kind of pushed out the door. I just think Pitt made a, a bad mistake there, but I, I, I bet you they regret it. Um, but then again, look at what he's done at TCU. And I don't think it's been like no, it hasn't been great, spectacular. Um, but I, I, I think Pitt would honestly probably really rather have Jamie Dixon. I'm not saying Mark Capel's a bad coach, but Jeff Capel, yeah, Jeff Capel. Sorry, Jesus, Jeff Capel's <laughs> a bad coach. Um, but I, I, based I, I'll on tell what, you this: they would have rather had rather had him over Kevin Stallings. That's for sure. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's one hundred percent true. Uh, uh, and then my second question for you, as we wrap up here, uh, the pit game. Do you think that the current situation has hurt SU in that there aren't many other teams who get a bigger home court boost 
than Syracuse? Or do you think this team is is what they are? They are what they are, and even having a pack carrier dome won't help it too much. I think home field advantage or home court advantage, because we're talking about basketball, is a real thing. I think maybe if Syracuse had a full house against the first pit game, maybe we don't lose that game. But I think I might be putting way too much stock into what a sold-out building is going to do. I, I, I just I think this team is what it is. I think having a full house would help. But also, imagine playing in front of the Oakland Zoo today. We uh, still losing by 20 or we losing by more? Uh, like, Yeah. No, it goes both ways. That's a good point. They're digging up stuff about Marek Dolezal's middle school locker or whatever it is. You know, like they they dig deep for that stuff at the Oakland Zoo, man. Or even or even against Carolina. Imagine if the Dean Dome was packed. Like it, it does go both ways. I think this team yeah. is kind of is. I think this team just it just it is what he, they are. What they are. Like I don't know. I think I think we'd be, we'd be putting way too much stock in a in a um packed out carrier dome. I, I just do. And that's, yeah, I guess we'll, uh, we kind of found out at the, the Boston college game, uh, where we won one one sixty three since, uh, we're used to having home court advantage at Chestnut Hill that we didn't have this year. So maybe we could have won that one. By <laughs> oh, maybe I uh, went to a game at Chestnut Hill when we were down there. It, it was all Syracuse fans. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was like 20 degrees below zero. That was freezing. <laughs> um, but that's that's all I have for for basketball. Uh, Keith, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think we sort of took uh, the scenic route on that whole basketball discussion with a lot of twists and turns. But overall, yeah. it's kind of, kind of sad to see the, the turn the season has taken. But who knows? I, I've been wrong so many times before with SU Hoops that I've learned to just be like, I have no idea what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah. Um, next week, SU has Miami Tuesday night at seven at home on the ACC network, and then next Saturday against Virginia Tech on regional sports network. So yes, um, for everybody in Syracuse, I'm surprised that one's not on ACC network because Tech's actually pretty good. But we will do a podcast probably after the Virginia Tech game, so we have both games to talk about, um, and then. But that's it for the guys. Um, this week in Syracuse sports, not much going on. The women's hockey team had their opening series postponed due to COVID issues with Lindenwood. The women's team looks to return tomorrow against Miami at the Carrier Dome, which will be fun to see because they're still pretty good. I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see how much rust they have uh, because Miami gave them a game the first time. Syracuse won by 11, and then they, and then they play Carolina on Tuesday afternoon who beat Syracuse earlier in the season. That's the orange one lone loss on the year for the girls. So they come back after a long COVID uh, layoff, which they're going to play their first game in three weeks. It's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, no new five-star reviews or five-star questions. So if you want to leave us a five-star comment or a five-star question, uh, leave, us, leave it on iTunes. We'll answer the question in the next podcast. Uh, it can be about anything, Syracuse, life, anything Anything you want, we'll answer it. It'll be fun. That's right. Time for our favorite segment, right? Yes. Now it is time for the Syracuse.com fan. SyracuseFan.com comment of the week. Keith has one this week. Uh, I actually didn't. (laughs) So, Keith, go ahead. 
So I had one, and it was uh, about a commenter who basically thought it was time to move to someone outside the program. Their suggestions were Rick Pitino, Travis Steele of Xavier, and then Wes Miller of UNC Greensboro. We talked a lot about the coaching search last week, but I don't think any of those three guys being placed on the, the SU bench right now would, would do a whole lot. But since we, we dove deep into it before, I'm going to call an audible this week, and I'm going outside of Syracuse.com. I'm going over to the UW Dog Pound for this, this week's Calendar of the Week. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> the UW Dog Pound. Um, so for those who don't know, we talked about Mike Hopkins being a big replacement for Bayheim, potential candidate. He had the Pac-12 Coach of the Year his first two seasons out in the Pacific Northwest. They have now fallen to 1-10 after a near 30-point loss to the UNC Trojans. And um, this comment is from Rock Dog, which was posted yesterday. And Rock Dog says, if we can't afford to fire Hopkins at this time, it's sort of like driving past that Boise, Boise Cascade pulp mill. You just have to get used to the smell and know it won't last forever. He's definitely going to have to shuffle his assistants in the offseason. So basically where they're at is two seasons removed from a second consecutive Pac-12 title. They're saying, please fire Hopkins, and if we can't, we're going to have to fire all the assistants. Not a good, not a good spot out in the Pac-12. What are your thoughts? Funny enough, I actually looked at the UW uh, message boards this week, and – it was not positive <laughs> at all. <laughs> so just as an overall arching, guys, it could be worse. We could be one in ten. Um, but yeah, no, rough going for Hop. I still like Hop. I met him when we were at school. He was a very nice guy. But hopefully, he can write the ship. But it does not look good for the Huskies out in Seattle. Like they, they don't look good at all. <laughs> yeah, and where do they go? I mean, they they just extended Hop. He, he won Pac-12 Coach of the Year twice. There's no – I mean, it, it's all his guys that he's recruited at this point, as much as we talk about he's a great mm-hmm. recruiter. And, and one thing he mentioned in an interview lately was the big difference from being an assistant to a head coach is now you're the one who gives the minutes out. You're, you're, like, you're not the, the top assistant who kind of consoles guys and, and just coaches and, and does their thing. Like, guy, when guys are upset at their playing time, they're upset at you. So those different right. nuances of being a head coach seemed to work really, really well his first two seasons, and he's just had a rough go of it this year especially. So I have no idea how that plays out. Lots of talk about how much his buyout is and when it actually becomes affordable. I just never thought after the first two seasons when every Syracuse fan was saying, man, Bayheim has totally lost it. We missed out on our savior, Mike Hopkins, when we had the chance. I think a lot of those people have uh, turned around their opinion. I think there are still the people who are saying Bayheim has lost it, but I think they've said – I think the Mike Hopkins' is savior part of it has kind of gone by the wayside. But yep. I, don't, I, I don't know. Maybe UW, I think – I don't think they're going to fire him this year, even if they lose the rest of their game, just because of what I've read of the relationship between him and the AD and the president. Could be wrong. They could, but – Hopefully he can turn around because I still like Hop. And it's it's also got to be 
like imagine the frustration as a Washington fan. Like we were complaining about how the ACC is kind of average this year. Imagine being one and nine and you're playing in the Pac-12 or one and ten and playing in the Pac-12. Like I don't want to be like mean to the Pac-12 schools, but who's the best team in the Pac-12 right now? Oregon, and they're ranked twentieth-ish, I think, in the country. Like the Pac, the Pac-12 isn't exactly a no, powerhouse but- basketball conference. I'll, I'll just imagine this for all the Bayheim doubters out there. And especially today with the, the big loss, it's warranted some of the criticism picture SU being one in 10 with the only win against Seattle and losses to uh, Montana. Um, some of the, and UC Riverside. What, oh what do you God. think the message boards would look like that day? The message board, there'd be protests outside John Wildhack's office. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and, and probably rightfully so. So as much as I, I love Hop, I hope he turns it around. And I still think there's a chance he, he comes to, to SU again as, as Beheim's successor. But who knows? We'll, we'll see. That's what makes college sports fun. We will see. And Oregon is ranked 22nd in the AP poll with UCLA and USC receiving votes. So that is where the Pac-12 is at. Um, Keith, do you have anything else to add? Do you want to talk about... The NFL playoffs, college football championship game, anything? No, I'll leave the floor to you. I'll just say, um, as I think more now that we reassess where SU is headed, I'm changing my prediction from national championship to final <laughs> four. So there you have it. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, I think that we're going to win out and win the national championship, and everyone's going to. We're gonna have to America's. We're gonna have to apologize again because Syracuse is back. No. But <laughs> that Sports um, Illustrated DVD is gonna be wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But guys, let's let's just try and keep things in perspective. I know it's frustrating, but let's take a deep breath. Realize it could be worse. And I I, I, don't, I, don't, know. I don't even know why I'm. Georgetown Georgetown did just get a five-star recruit for next year, though, to be fair to them. They might get up to seven wins. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. And on that note, so if you want to leave us a five-star question, leave us a five-star review on iTunes with a question in the review, and we will answer it. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MarshallSTPod44. Don't forget to subscribe, like, retweet, and share with your friends. Uh, Sorry this is a little bit more spaced out podcast again we have lives and we have jobs that we have to attend to so we are working adults unfortunately um we'll be back probably either midweek after the miami game or we might wait again until next weekend to get a virginia tech game in there as well so uh that's keith i'm jake go orange go orange